0: For rocking with us. Check it, check it. Julie, kick off the show
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome to Crazy and the King.
0: Hey, listen, I don't know where we are in the calendar, but it's the holiday season. So if we were on video and we could do like uh, what do you call it, pomp and circumstance, like confetti, all this fun stuff. <laughs> like I I'd be throwing it up But at-
1: Okay.
0: <laughs> oh, that it? Wrong, wrong event. <laughs> Okay. No, I'll so take it. I'll hey, take it. But it's still holiday season and yeah. we are ending 2021 on a very good note. I got to ask you a question. Yes. When I think about um seminal moments, you know, George Floyd of course was a seminal moment in 2020. Uh, yep. A cu- a year before that, a seminal moment for race and for awareness was the 1619 project. You remember? Yep. Oh yeah. I was on a coaching session with one of my uh, executives and I said I wonder what's like that seminal piece that 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 reading that really says this is what it's like to be a Japanese American. Mm-hmm. And so as we are preparing for today's conversation, I'm curious is there like that piece for the disability community?
1: Um god. So I, I think and and I'll I'll say this with a, an asterisk because it's me um, I think that one of the seminal pieces of work that's come out for us this year was Crip Camp um, remember from Netflix Judy Human, that amazing group of people because it's what I feel like and I still still feel like is that it's the only documentary and kind of portrayal of people with disabilities a told by people with disabilities and told in a fully human way, right? When we get into like things about sex and love and emotions and um, just being silly teenagers, that was a profound, I think, piece of, of documentary that did it right. And I can't think of another piece that does it right because Judy was so crucial in kind of developing that story and telling that story and what what i learned something else that i thought was pretty fantastic and have been using a lot in my conversations was the cooperation between the the black civil act civil rights activists excuse me and the disability civil rights activists um and how we worked together to support each other in a lot of different conversations so that would be my pick
0: yeah, you know it's amazing um uh, because black folks always show up. We really do. Like we always show up for every community for the most part. You know, I I I don't want to speak in terms of uh totality or entirely. Uh but we just seem to always show up. Which is a yep. subject for another conversation. And our guest today is going to be able to talk probably at length and, and in detail. Crip Camp, the disability community. But before we get to our guests, how are you?
1: I'm good. Good. Wrapping up 2021. Again, it's been a freaking fantastic year for me and for Disability Solutions and the work that I'm doing at our parent company, as well as for the podcast. It's been a really great year for us and I've enjoyed um, this year with us. How about you?
0: Yeah. You know, I've enjoyed all of our years with us and I think you've enjoyed it a lot more because you are more comfortable. You know, you feel more (laughs) present, more connected to what it is that we are doing. I remember a couple of shows back how I asked you that question around you taking that sigh of breath. And I even noticed since then (laughs) you haven't done it as often. So you are even more comfortable than you were a couple of months ago with our recording. So listen why don't we do this um it's a little early in the show for us we normally would spend some time uh covering highlights but julie and i we didn't really have like a short season there's podcasts that have like a short season 20 episodes 24 episodes 15 episodes we have to work over these parts um and so we've covered enough news stories over the last year That listen, all you got to do is just hit rewind on any of them and you get any flavor of what was happening. You know, that's one of the things that I love. Like our podcast gets to be a moment of history. We get to look back and listen and understand exactly what was going on at a particular time. But right now, during the holidays, we kind of like just took a step back from the news. Not as if it's not been happening. But we, we took a step back, and we've done the show a little bit differently. So let's just do a quick ad uh, break, and then let's get into our guest. Cool? Sounds great. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell, Yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We, we out.
1: All right. So welcome back. So today we have a, a friend, a colleague um, of mine from the disability community, Meg O'Connell, who is the founder and CEO of the Global Disability Inclusion. Um, I've known Meg for probably close to 12 to 15 years, and she works with Fortune 500 companies, foundations, universities, nonprofits um, to provide strategic direction, design, and implementation of disability and employment and inclusion programs. Guess how we met. Uh, Some of her notable clients are Cummins, PG, and Starbucks, and as well as Sherm. Um, So let's uh, welcome Meg O'Connell to the show.
0: Hey, Meg, how are you?
2: Hey, I'm great. Good to be here with you both. Thanks for having me on the
0: show. I got to tell everyone, everyone listening. So when we got on to do the recording, I, I, Meg was on first, first of all. So you always, you never really want a person to be in your living room before you can get to your living room. But Meg, Meg beat us to the living room. She's sitting on the couch, got her feet up on the Mm -hmm. coffee table. Meg is chilling. So I come in to my living room and Meg says, oh, you must be the king. Exactly. That's who I am. So Meg, I'm curious. I saw something that says you've been doing this beautiful work, critical work since the 90s. Julie, in the introduction, just dropped the names of some incredible organizations. I want to start with what causes you the greatest amount of consternation over that period of time?
2: Mm -hmm. Um, Where do I start? Uh, It's a great question. I think the greatest consternation is. That I feel like I'm still having the same conversations I had 30 years ago in educating companies. I don't feel, you know, before you guys introduced me, you were talking about that seminal moment. And I agree with you, Julie, that, you know, Crip Camp was an amazing moment, an amazing revelation for a bulk of the planet that doesn't see disability as part of the human condition and that we're just like everybody else. But what we haven't had where we have seen the last few years of Me Too and George Floyd and the Asian hate, we have not had that seminal moment where the world takes a collective aha and says, we need to do better. You know, since those other movements, corporations around the globe have really What do we need to do to educate? We need to talk to our employees and learn about their experiences. We need to really get deep in how to evolve and change. And that hasn't happened with the disability community yet. So that keeps me driven to try to make that happen. But we haven't had our moment yet.
0: Yeah. And to that point, you know, I saw something on the company Twitter feed that said only four, only four percent of companies that have a DNI strategy also have a disability strategy. So that kind of echoes what you just said, and and you actually raise a very very good point. And I actually have to pause in that moment because I'm I'm saying to myself, well, well certainly we would have never predicted a George Floyd. Nor would we have wanted to predict a George Floyd. And I say to myself, you know, how do or how would the disability community experience that moment? Like, like in in the in the minute that you're saying that I'm literally saying to myself, what could possibly happen? Yeah, yeah.
1: It it happens all the time, though, I think is is. What's important here, right? We have what just a few months ago, a, a black paraplegic man ripped out of his car um by police. We have Sandra Bland, who suffered from mental illness, who was who died in in a jail alone for having a traffic or having a, a signal out. We have um, I'm not going to remember the state, but where two mentally ill um, people who were being transported by police and caught in a flood were h- handcuffed. the the paddy wagon and left to drown like it doesn't happen for us i i think um because of that lack of humanity that lack of well the, the there's that ableism that bias that says somehow that person because of their disability deserved what happened to them or that would never happen to me because i'm not like those people and that, I think, to me, is is the difference. And and sorry, Meg, I'll let you hop in.
2: No, I think you're exactly right. And there was the deaf man who was, you know, um, arrested because they didn't believe that he was truly deaf. I mean, there we have countless over and over and would never want to wish a George Floyd moment on anyone. But, you know, what we are seeing is exactly what you've said, Julie, is that. There's no outrage when it happens to people with disability. How do we change that? You know, I. I, And I didn't
0: mean to cut you off, Meg. I'm sorry. I
2: have that answer. (laughs) I would be able to retire if I had that answer. You know, I think it's um, continuing to educate people, continuing to share those statistics of really you know, corporations around the globe, 90% of you have diversity programs, but only 4% have disability inclusion programs. You should be ashamed of yourselves. <laughs> I mean, it is 30 years past that ADA. We have similar legislation in countries around the globe, but disability is still that group that is othered. We still pay sub minimum wage to people with disabilities you know, how is this still even possible? Uh, So we need true leadership from businesses and um, really digging in deep with disability inclusion and not putting out a press release when it's Disability Employment Awareness Month or, oh, we did some trainings during that month. You know, we need to get to a point where disability is embedded across all lines of business across every company
1: so we started off super intense and that's how torn and i (laughs) like to roll um well let me take it back i was actually thinking about this this interview today and i realized that i have never asked you how did you come to this work what what drove this passion for you
2: gosh you know it's um you know, a funny story as I I look at it now, because um, it just sort of happened. Um, I live in St. Augustine, Florida. The School for the Deaf and Blind is here. So, grew up seeing people in the deaf community around sign language at my church, you know, everywhere I went. But then as I embarked on other parts of the world, realized that that kind of sense of inclusion wasn't the norm. And so, when I lived in Richmond, Virginia, and I was working for a bank this is early in my career in my 20s, I was a bank teller and um, started taking sign language classes in the evening just for something to do to meet people. and part of what we had to do for our homework was to go to what they called silent dinners, and the mm-hmm. deaf community would get together, and they welcome students to come in and practice your sign language class uh, your sign language skills. and Um, quickly, I started having a following of deaf customers that were driving, you know, in Richmond, Virginia, driving 30 miles is a big deal, right? We're driving 20, 30 miles to come to my teller window when they had a branch down the street just because somebody could talk to them. And I was still a student, so I wasn't that good. And like every good 20-something, I sent a note to the CEO and said, I've got some really good ideas <laughs> about, you know, because we were close to um, Gallaudet University, which is the second highest concentration of deaf and hard of hearing people in the, in the country. And our footprint was Virginia, Maryland, and DC. So it's was like, I did my research. I knew if we got X percentage of the deaf population to bank with us, here's the additional revenue that I could bring to the bank. So that was really my first, um, you know, consulting project uh, when I was in my 20s. Uh, He agreed to meet with me. He thought it was a good idea. And hence, my disability inclusion career was born.
0: (laughs) Hold on. Stay there for a minute. Stay there for a second. So we got all of these fancy folks out that are really, really smart. And they say, uh, you know, on your resume, you shouldn't put anything more than 15 years ago, 10 years ago. You know, I subscribe to some of those things, too. I'm, I'm just as guilty. Do you still have that story reflected on your resume?
2: I do not have that story on my resume.
0: (laughs) Okay, I just wonder, because it's really a great story. And what that shows is that analytical observation, you immediately connected it to the business proposition and value for the institution. You got the CEO to sit with you. You got the CEO yeah. to respond yeah. and sit with you. And and I want in this moment, you know, as young people are listening to the podcast, whether you are wrapping presents, drinking eggnog, enjoying family, I want young people to really think about what you just shared, because there are a lot of critical folks out there that says the millennials and Gen Zers, they are too ambitious and they want too much and they don't want to pay their dues. Sometimes we, just have, has, we, sometimes we just have to stop and listen to what they're saying and be present with the information that they are given. Just imagine what would have happened had the CEO ignored you. The bank did something to maybe change it. Perhaps they could have relocated you. Everything fell in place. And I think that that's a beautiful story.
2: It, it, it you know, looking back at it now, it's it's a fun story to tell. And I actually think the credit goes to the CEO and I'll go ahead and name him. It was Richard Tillman at the time. Um, and I had seen him at a company event and he talked about having an open door policy. And I was like, well, I'm going to take him at his word. And he could have easily said, what's this teller doing? Write me this memo and passed it on to somebody else. But he said, you know, I said, I have an open door policy. Here's somebody with an idea that wants to sit and meet with me. And he saw merit in it. And that's how it began. And it also encouraged me to continue to always dream big.
1: So you work with a lot of big companies. You got some great names under your belt. Um, And I love, you know, is we sit in the same space, the, the names that are coming under our belts, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. But there's all of those times, right, that I can think of in not just the the past, but even in the, the, the recent past where I've had to say to a company, you know what, it's not going to happen because you're not there, right? You might be interested, but you're certainly not committed. And I kind of have a checklist that I go through that I know when we're we're at that point obviously investment and resources and and money is one big piece but what are some of the other kind of um that your seasoned eye knows or your seasoned ear knows like this company is ready to roll down disability and inclusion this company is like not even close do these things and then and then we'll talk
2: yeah yeah, it's you're so right. And I, I think it was a couple of months ago I, I posted something on LinkedIn that just kind of had my image and then it just said, You're not ready yet. And it's a conversation that I had with a client that I had been talking to, or you know, potential client for a number of months. Oh, we're in, we're in, we're in. Oh, we have competing priorities here. Oh no, sorry, we can't do that. It'll be next month, it'll be next month. And after several months, I said, You're not ready. I don't have time to waste on people who are not ready. When you're ready, call me. We'll absolutely help you there. Um, And and that happens more than than, um, I would like because Mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of times companies come in and think, oh, we can do a handful of things and we're done, right? We can do some training, help us set up an employee resource group. Um, But how you and I approach this, Julie, is that holistic, embedded approach as part of your business and part of your business strategy, and companies get, oh, I didn't realize I was going to have to do all that, or that that's what's going to take to really have a commitment in disability inclusion. Um, So I think sometimes they come in not with eyes completely wide open or think that it's going to be different than other diversity initiatives, which require the same thing, right? That it's part of your strategy, it's across lines of your business, everybody in the company gets trained on it. Somehow, organizations still think that disability isn't going to need that same level of commitment. So I think that's um, kind of the big red flag for me when I start talking to folks. Um, I have a favorite client right now, I've been working with Michael's for almost two years right now. And, and, And I say this to them all the time in my 30 years in this business, they are easily my favorite client. Um, They have, you know, every discussion, every conversation is how do we make that happen? What do we do next? Where can we go from here? How do we go from, you know, 600 stores to 1500 stores and have, you know, three to five people with disabilities employed in every store? I mean, they're just, on it, and their team is engaged and enthusiastic. Everyone wants to be part of the project. We're having to say, Hey, we're not there yet. You know, pull your jets. So, you know, there aren't a lot of clients that have that kind of commitment and energy. And so they've been super fun to work with. And how yeah, long did it about- take
1: them to get to that place? Oh, sorry. You go ahead, Tor.
0: No, no, go ahead. Go
1: ahead. How long did it take it take them to get to that place? One, where they trusted you enough as their their expert in the space, um, but that they started seeing some outcomes that made them go, oh, this really does work. We really can do this.
2: Yeah, it's, it's interesting because they actually had started working with another organization first and so, um, and things didn't go particularly well for a variety of reasons. Um, and you know, then they came back to me and said, Hey, w- we want to give this a try. So they had had some bumps in the road themselves. So they knew th- they knew a little bit more than just starting from scratch completely. And, um, you know, I had, um, spent a lot of time building trust with the leader. And that really helped us catapult things in a much bigger way that we could create a program um, that started with the future in mind rather than starting with, all right, what are the three things we're going to do this year? And they immediately went to, who do we want to be five years from now in this space? And how do we back into that and get there? And so. That's different. At least it's been different in my experience. You get folks that will get into it and may say that you know a year end, like okay, we've run our pilot program, but that was their approach from the get go. It's like all right, let's think about and let's do our strategic planning and really dive deep into it and do our internal assessment of where we are and know where we need to go. Um, so their commitment commitment was clear from the get go.
0: Yeah, I just went to uh, you know, Google real quick to look at who's leading the organization. Another young person, 47, leading the organization. How, how does that influence the way that you communicate with him and or how he supports the work that you are doing? I mean, do you see a difference in? And everybody's different, but, but do you see a difference in his youthful leadership style? as compared to maybe some of the more senior leaders who, who may not be as supportive of, you know, diversity efforts around people with disabilities.
2: Yeah. When I was in banking and the term still stands today, we used to call it male, pale and stale. So we are, you know, seeing that be less and less, right. Um, to, to be honest, I haven't, had direct contact with the michael ceo so i don't know his leadership style i can only make assumptions based on what i have seen um with the team and how they execute and um how quickly you know how quickly they get things done um, we're working now or have been working on something called the leader's guide um that was kind of a quick hit for managers in every stores that they can review, tells them what they need to do, how to start their initiative, blah, 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 all the resources. And anything like this that gets created at other big companies can take months to get approved. I mean, literally, it took them a week to say, yes, it's done. Let's roll this out. We're ready. So they don't mess around. They... they, They are about getting it done. So I would venture to say his leadership drives that. So
1: kind of wrapping up, right, just a couple of kind of quick hits. So what do you see as the most positive and notable change in the workplace for people with disabilities, let's say in the past five years or however long you want to kind of roll back?
2: Right. I know. I feel like we've been kind of um, the negative side of things for a little bit. So thanks for steering us to the positive, because there is a lot of great things that that is happening in our space. I think um, Section 503 easily over the last, you know, seven years really catapulted, essentially creating affirmative action for people with disabilities that didn't exist before. It also helped evolve the disability disclosure conversations, self-ID in the workplace, and people having to get smart on having those conversations about disability in the workplace. So those have been huge. And that has really spurred on our movement that we've been seeing a lot of, of being loud and proud about being a person with a disability. And so we're not kind of hiding anymore. Um, and so that's been, been huge. I also think um, the emphasis that we've had over the last couple of years with the pandemic on accessibility, uh, remote working, hybrid working, um, the access and inclusion components of that, we're not going back to the way it was before. And people with disabilities are insisting This is the new way of work, and this works for me, and it's creating more opportunities for for people with disabilities across the globe. So that's another huge win for us.
0: So what's huge for everyone else? And when I ask that question, I'm thinking about as we prepare to transition into 2022, knowing that this conversation around the great resignation, the future of work, more implementation of technology, This struggling relationship that we have with keeping people with disabilities in the conversation and not external to the conversation. I mean, we could think about a number of different moving parts, but as we transition into 2022, what should be next for all of us?
2: You know, one of the things that we're really focused on now, and I've been talking with Julia about this as well, too, is disability employee engagement. Because of that low number, that 4%, only 4% of companies are even investigating disability as a diversity segment, that's where we have an opportunity to change. So we've partnered with Mercer and have created the first ever disability climate and culture survey that companies can now not just assess their policies, programs, and procedures for some of the other indices out there. But now you know what's happening in your four walls. Now we're asking your employees with disabilities what they think about your workplace, what policies and procedures work for them, where are their gaps, how they feel about disability disclosure, how they feel about their leadership and representation. And no one has asked these questions of employees with disabilities before.
0: So let's stay there for just a moment, Meg, because I do like that. Mm -hmm. And I remember participating on a clubhouse session A couple of a couple of months back. And one of the things that was said in the session is that oftentimes the audiences that are marginalized, underrepresented, overlooked, they tend to not want to respond when we are doing engagement surveys, employee surveys for a couple of reasons, you know, retaliation, um, lack of safety or feeling comfortable in revealing certain things. If organizations haven't really considered people with disabilities, if they haven't cultivated spaces that allow me to reveal that I am of a disability, have a disability, how do we get over that and get more people to, to participate and complete the survey? I'm curious. Yeah. Well,
2: You know, as with most surveys, it's anonymous, right? So your name doesn't get attached to it. And the unique twist that we took on this survey that I think makes it extra special is that we're surveying both employees with disabilities and employees without disabilities. So at the beginning of the survey, you'll be asked, are you a person with a disability? And we'll provide definitions and some examples. Or are you an ally, an advocate, a parent, or a caregiver? So the bulk of the questions will be the same um, for the first part of the survey. But then when you get to the disability-related questions, they'll split off a little bit. So if you're a person with a disability, you'll be asked questions about um, obtaining a com- an accommodation. Did you have to provide medical documentation as part of your accommodation request? Um, Have you disclosed your disability at work and did you feel it was a safe space to do so? If you're a person who's the advocate, ally, or parent, your questions will be more along what you're seeing. I see examples of my leadership talking about disability in the same way they do other diversity groups. I see my colleagues with disabilities treated with dignity and respect. So you're getting both the lived experience of the employee with a disability and also the perception and the reality of what those without disabilities are seeing in the workplace. So I think it's going to provide that holistic view for companies that participate in this and really giving them the kind of, you know, look under the hood of what's really happening and how people feel about disability inclusion at our workplace. So, Meg, if
1: people are interested in the survey, if they want to learn more about you or just connect in general, where do they find Meg and where do they find Global Disability?
2: Yeah, um, GlobalDisabilityInclusion.com. You can find me on LinkedIn. Um, We've got a a generic email info at GlobalDisabilityInclusion.com. You can send information there. You can find information about the survey on our website, too. I give out my email all the time. So if folks want to email me directly, it's Meg at global disability Inclusion.com.
0: Yeah, I absolutely love that. Uh, when will the survey be available?
2: The survey will run for three weeks, February 14th through March 4th. We've got some really exciting brands that have signed up. So we're really looking forward to it. And companies also get to get benchmarked against our uh, 12 million data sets that we've already captured within Mercer. So I think this can be a game changer for companies.
0: Meg O'Connell, executive director. She is the boss. Uh, She recognizes that we have some work to do. It's beautiful work, but that she and her team and so many others are doing it and we need all of you Help to do it as well. You can find them on Twitter at Global Disability. It actually ends with the T. I think it probably was just that it was too long to put the Y on there, but it's Global. (laughs) Yeah, that's all right. We need to, you know what, we need to get a, we need to put a a petition up to Twitter to let them add like one more uh, uh, character space, if you will. Global, (laughs) that's right. Global Disability on Twitter and the URL for the organization is globaldisabilityinclusion.com Meg, thank you ever so much for being a part of the conversation during this holiday season. We appreciate you.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. So Julie, listen, um, we probably need to get a a sponsor for our Her Voice segment. We're going to work really hard over the holiday break. Uh, We'll skip it now because I'm sure people are probably enjoying themselves and doing different things with the family. I like that. I actually like that. I want to make sure that I am tweeting out that survey so that we can get more people to participate, to get over on the website, because uh, it really is a part of the consulting that we do. We ask the questions, but I'm asking myself as I listened to Meg and her contribution, am I even asking enough questions? More importantly, am I asking the right questions? So I appreciate Meg and her contribution. That was great.
1: Awesome. Awesome. So I think as we wrap up the year, I just want to say, as always, I'm thankful for you and thankful for this relationship that we've built over the last three years, uh, unbelievably, and look forward to 2022.
2: Wow.
0: Yeah, um, I'm just a little bit concerned with that unbelievably piece. Like, what made you think that we wouldn't be able to build a great relationship? Did did I do something in Chicago that gave me oh. the inclination <laughs> that I don't really know if I'm going to really like this dude? Um, you, you know, I'm F.E.?
1: It was the was, three was years, something? unbelievably, not the great relationship, unbelievably. I knew we'd have a okay. great relationship. Well, I mean, three years Because, again, passing. it doesn't matter where the world...
0: <laughs> Yeah, it matters where the word is inserted in the description. So so I just wanted to make sure that Fair. I was understanding correctly. And I think you've been Mirifying. wonderful. As, yes. I'm just saying you've been wonderful as well um, <laughs> to all of our listeners. We really appreciate you. Like Julie and I did not know three years ago where this whole thing would be would kind of be we didn't we we really didn't like we've gone through iterations of what the show would look like we've gone through iterations of how we put it together i mean we've done some things uh producer intern shout out to our intern like if she has not been a wonderful addition the second half of 2021 absolutely absolutely appreciate make sure you pay her i told her i said look Julie's going to pay you. She said, no, she doesn't have to because I'm an intern. I said, we don't do free work around here. You are going to be rewarded. And I said, and if Miss Julie, this is what I said to her. I said, if Miss Julie doesn't pay you, have your mom call me. Cause I want to make sure I was protected. Have your... Yes.
1: Have your mom call me. Yes, have your mom call me.
0: You've been wonderful. I absolutely appreciate you. Yes, to our listeners, we appreciate each and every one of you. We want you to stick with us, enjoy the remainder of the holiday season. Please make it a point to share the pod, this one and so many of the others, with your digital tribe. Come back and rock with us in 2022. Same energy, same, same commitment, just a brand new year. Happy holidays. See ya.